When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Buckeye Breakdown podcast continues. It's Thursday of game week, so that means today is inside the numbers. So Ohio State and Tulsa get ready for what hopefully will be uh, a better showing from the Ohio State defense here this weekend after last week's frustrating loss to Oregon. I'm Brendan Gulick along with Brett Hiltbrand. And Brett, this is obviously the storyline of the week over and over and over again. It's, it's Ohio State defense related. Um, we've heard Ryan Day talk on Tuesday this week about his very candid thoughts uh, about not being happy with where the defense is right now and not being happy. In fact, disappointed, the word he used, uh, that he kind of has to turn his attention away from where the offense is, where he likes to be, and where he knows he needs to focus to get that unit ready. And now he's got to look at a different side of the ball to see, hey, how can we figure out a way to shore this side up? Because that was costly last week. Um, that's the storyline that's been hammered all week long, and I, I imagine until they show better results, it's probably going to be the dominating storyline. 100%, and I think until uh, – not only that, I think you, you until you see a performance that feels average uh, with an Ohio State defense, you're, not, you're certainly not going to feel like you're trusting the, that, that defense in any sort of, of high-pressure – uh, any sort of a high-pressure situation against high-quality opponent, flat out. You just don't trust them right now. So um, this is this podcast is called Inside the Numbers because uh, we're going to dive into some of the numbers that uh, are, are plaguing Ohio State uh, or perhaps some that are performing at a high level, and, and we'll look a little bit at Tulsa as well. Um, Brett, I, I think it's just worth you know at least noting up front here, I know – not a lot of people are particularly jazzed that Tulsa's coming to town. Uh, Ohio State fans right now are feeling like this is a game that the Buckeyes should win handily. Frankly, I think they feel that the next several weeks that should be the case because Ohio State is more talented than Tulsa and Akron, and they are a better football team than Rutgers and Maryland, no matter what some of those past close games could uh, could indicate. Um, and then you got the bye. So this should be a four-week stretch that Ohio State performs at a really high level and I think right now fans are basically saying we don't really care who the opponent is. Um, Ohio State's got to show some some signs of improvement for them to, to really hop on the national championship bandwagon again. I think for sure. And also you have an opportunity here to kind of work on things a little bit while maybe not entirely worrying about the final score just simply because you know that you have more talent on the offensive side of the football to just flat out outscore people, right? Like there's – I don't think – I don't think – you know, you're worrying about getting into a scoring contest with Akron or Tulsa. Uh, but if you don't mind your P's and Q's and don't get, you know, squared away, you could absolutely get beat by Rutgers or uh, Maryland if you're not if you're not really getting after it. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if we see, you know, a defensive performance like we saw against Oregon and, and C.J. Stroud throws a couple picks – you can get beat by just about anybody in the Big Ten, right? So it's an opportunity for for this for this team to kind of 
square some personnel away. I think it's more so an opportunity for Ryan Day in that defensive coaching staff to kind of re-figure out the hierarchy and then figure out what they do well and then stick to that, maybe simplify things, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, maybe reduce the amount of personnel that sees the field, that kind of thing. Um, but you, you got to figure it out here pretty quick because like it or not, you're now behind the eight ball. You have to start putting up massive performances against teams that the national collective college football audience expect you to smash because when it comes time to, you know, start thinking about as other teams, you know, kind of, you know, progress through the season and maybe pick up a loss, right. And that, in that picture of the college football playoff kind of starts to take shape. And we're talking about one loss teams and all of that. If, if, you know, the committee and fans are going back and looking at Ohio state's schedule and only seeing a seven, 10, 14, 21 point victory over say Tulsa or Rutgers or whatever, that does not bode well for Ohio state's chances of getting into the final four. No, it's, it's really hard to get in in the first place. And, uh, you know, there's, there is an element of you're always looking to see who you beat. Um, But it's, to me, it's just as important to, did you beat the teams that you should beat handily, handily, you know, did, did you put away teams that you should run away from? And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, when you're trying to split hairs on resumes between really good programs who've had really good seasons, those little things can eventually stand out. And and it's part of the reason why I am worried about Ohio State's playoff chances after losing to Oregon. Because if it comes down to Ohio State or Oregon for the last spot, let's say, Ohio State lost to them head-to-head, right? Oregon's The rest of Oregon's resume would have to be significantly worse than what the rest of Ohio State's resume would look like to me in order to justify putting the Buckeyes in in front of Oregon because you've got a head-to-head result. Um, There aren't always a ton of head-to-head results that become part of the conversation. There's just not a huge sample size in the college football playoff, you know, itself right now is only four teams. But um, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt, man, the Buckeyes playoff chances took a, I would call it a catastrophic blow. They're, yeah. they're, ESPN says it's down to 23%, and it was at like 67% going into the Oregon game. So it's not over by any stretch. They can still get in, but they have to annihilate teams the rest of the way. Well, I, first of all, I'm, I'm shocked that it's that high at 20%. One. Two, I think uh, I would go on the absolute warpath if, if there was a kind of one or the other choice between two teams and the team that lost in that the, those two teams' respective head-to-head matchup got in, man, nobody would be banging the drum for for uh, that being absurdly unfair and just downright wrong more than me. So I, I think if if it comes down to Ohio State and Oregon, and the resumes are you know essentially similar one-loss type uh, records, that there should be no scenario outside of like catastrophic injuries like on the offensive side of the football, like season enders for like starting quarterback, running backs, that kind of thing um, where you just know that it's not like a complete squad Um, outside of like that one scenario, you could not, you would have a hard time convincing me of putting the loser of a head to head matchup in over the winner when the, when the resumes are similar, that, that would, I just don't, I just, that that's just downright wrong. Um, yeah, decided on the field. I mean, that's the whole right, point. Exactly. Of the game. Uh, 
I, but I, I, I think in general, um, you know, this kind of goes back a little bit to that national championship year for Ohio State. And, and the idea that, like, they flat out don't get in the playoff if they don't have the final two performances to round out the regular season and then that Big Ten championship game against Wisconsin. If they don't smash Michigan and whiskey in the way that they do on those national audiences – in front of those national audiences, they don't get in to go in and go on and win a national championship. Period. Point blank. So it's it's not just eye test, but it has it has everything to do with recency bias as well, whether you like that or not, or think that's okay or not. But it has everything to do with that. And so not only do you have to start, you have to you have to crush Akron, you have to crush Tulsa, but you also have to kind of peak at the right time towards the end of the season, and. Uh, from what we've seen so far from this team, that feels almost unlikely. I'm not going to go out and say straight out that it's unlikely, but it feels close to that. Yeah, look, they've got the talent. I mean, there's nobody in America that's going to look at Ohio State's roster and say this team isn't talented enough to do it. Of course they're talented enough. Um, but the execution has not been good so far. Um, you know, We'll talk about the Zips next week. Let's focus on this first opponent. Tulsa doesn't stink. Like, they're not good. They're not a really good team. But they're not terrible. I mean, they they gave Oklahoma State a pretty good game last week. You know, they've, they've got a semi-inexperienced quarterback, but they've got a, a wide receiver who's got 4,000 all-purpose yards in his career. He's very athletic. They've got two pretty good running backs, one of whom is coming off of a torn ACL. So he's been more, even though he's probably the better of the two, uh, on, on the larger perspective, Shamari Brooks, uh, Daenerik Prince has gotten more of the opportunities, but they run the ball fairly well. Um, th- their offense has been a little suspect so far, uh, even though they really hung with Oklahoma State. But their defense is pretty good. You know, they 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 have shown flashes of of being a very competitive defense. They brought a lot of good pieces back from last year's team, with the exception of obviously their best player and Zayvon Collins, who was literally, I'm not exaggerating, the best player defensively in college football last year. Won the Nagurski Trophy. Um, he, he won the National College Football Defensive Player of the Year. Took a couple of other trophies home. He's playing in the NFL out of Tulsa. He was a unanimous first-team All-American mm-hmm. and the first one that Tulsa's had since the 1960s. Um, he's the kind of player that like, they'll build a statue to someday. I mean, he's Zayvon Collins was unbelievable at, at Tulsa. They obviously don't have him, right? But they've still got some other good pieces. Now, I don't think that that defense is good enough to to slow down Ohio State. I think Ohio State's, especially the passing offense, way too high octane for that secondary. So I don't really expect the Buckeyes to just have a cakewalk. But um, I think this game is going to be, you know, fairly fairly competitive for a little while. But I do expect Ohio State to win handily. I agree. I think it's about dominating flat out. You have to show that you can dominate on offense and you can manage on defense. I think that's job number one for this team and this coaching staff. And if it's not, if it's not decidedly one-sided within maybe the first like 20 minutes of game time, you're going to, you're going to hear about it. The fans are going to let that team hear, hear it. I guarantee it. And, uh, it's it's time to start, you know, I think in many ways meeting expectation, especially on the defensive side of the football, for sure. 
So Ohio State defensively um, kind of having a tough go of it. They, uh, they're allowing 221 yards through the air per game, um, which is certainly not a great number, but it's roughly middle of the pack uh, across the NCAA. The rush defense has been particularly frustrating. 236 yards per game allowed on the ground out of 130 teams that play FBS football. That's 123rd. Last year, the Buckeyes were ranked 122nd in pass defense, but they were one of the best in the country in stopping the run. This year, the rush defense has been better, and especially considering the fact that um, – I'm sorry, I said that backwards. The, the pass defense this year has been better, uh, especially considering you're playing against two teams that primarily like to run the football. Maybe the secondary hasn't been tested in quite the same way. But the rush defense has been awful. Um, you're not going to win games in high-stakes environments when you're giving up 236 yards per game on the ground. That's just not going to cut it. Yeah, and, um, you know, we'll go – we'll kind of dive into some more, you know, numbers as as the show goes along. But I think, um, you know, it's – when you kind of hear us talk about, you know, how things have not gone according to plan and I think how this team is maybe falling a little bit short – of that initial expectation. We're not just talking about the defense here. I mean, they, in, in that game against Oregon, this Ohio state offense struggled to finish drives. I mean, uh, if you give you a number here, 43.48%, that's a, that's Ohio state's efficiency on third down right now. They're 10 of 23 on third down. That's not good enough. Period. No. Point blank. Um, they've gone for it. I think five times on fourth down. Uh, and a couple of those, we're not like short fourth downs. We're talking like fourth and six, fourth and seven, um, you know, because they're short field, so to speak, uh, situations. Um, you know, it's I think it's at a point a little bit, you know, where it's it's entirely too early to project any trends, things that, you know, like, uh, like you know, maybe maybe reflect a larger macro level uh, problem or whatever with with one side of the football or the other. It's entirely too early with that. But right now through two, two games and, and, you know, and, and eight quarters of, of evidence, there are some very glaring problems that this team needs to fix. And the time to fix them is in this next, you know, two to three week window. On the offensive side, um, promising numbers, not necessarily surprising, but promising that the Ohio state offense continues to, you know, achieve at an exceptionally high level. Um, C.J. Stroud, second career start. I know it might be easy to to get tied up in the numbers and you sit there and say, well, he threw for 484 yards. Um, and so you, you maybe look past some of the early game incompletions and things. But the reality is he did have a, a pretty darn good game. Could he have been better? Yes, he could have been better. And if the Ohio State offense played a perfect game, and if they finished some of those drives and converted on fourth downs, I think we're talking about a 2-0 football team. Um, but largely, I mean, let's just call it for what it is. The offense is not the reason that the Buckeyes lost the game on, on Saturday. Um, and in that game, C.J. Stroud is uh, in three different categories, put himself second in single-game you know, passing record lists in Ohio State history, including passing yards per game with that 484-yard mark. 
So we're seeing the offense do what we kind of expected, way, way more balance in game one, running the ball versus passing than what we saw last week. The, the Buckeyes almost abandoned the run because they weren't controlling the line of scrimmage well, and it just kind of felt like they were chasing the game a little bit and needed to throw their way back in it. Um, I would expect Ryan Day to have a far more uh, far more heavy emphasis on the run this week. I, I think that, in many ways, is actually the singular focus. Oh, excuse me, of this offense in this game specifically is we're we are going to the, the message I think for them this week is we're going to try and go out and be exceptionally physical at the point of attack, and we are going to run the football. We're going to let you know that we're running the football and then dominate that, uh, you know, when it comes, when it comes time. Um, Cause they just flat out. I don't think we're, we're good enough, especially uh, in the Oregon game. Um, you know, I think too the, I, I don't know how exactly to say this, but the, uh, I, I, I don't think either side of the football exists kind of, in and of themselves, right? Like I think struggles on defense affect offense, offensive efficiency, all of that. Um, and, and vice versa. If you don't finish drives or you go three and out, your defense is tired, all those things. Uh, I do think if, if you are able uh, from an Ohio State standpoint to control the line of scrimmage and maybe lengthen some drives out by running the football just a little bit more, I think that helps your defense with some of their growing pains right now, if you're able to hold on to the football just a little bit longer, but you know, kind of beef up that time of possession, I think that's a good thing for this Ohio State defense right now to essentially limit, uh, you know, the number of like pressure snaps. The idea that they have to get the ball back right away because it's you know it's um, you know it's incumbent upon them, you know, to to maybe kind of keep within striking distance or that kind of thing. So. Um, not only does the run game, you know, uh, you know, being the focus, I think in this game, help Ohio state and in, in, in trying to get better at that and be more physical. But I also think then, uh, as a byproduct of that, I think it helps your defense, uh, get a little bit more confidence as well. Without a doubt. I mean, the, the units feed off each other and, and they need to, you know, they need to give each other something to, uh, feel a little bit better out, uh, better, better about, um, as it pertains to Tulsa, you know, Philip Montgomery, seventh year head coach at, at the Golden Hurricane program. And last year they had a good run. Uh, they won six games in a row at one point, which was one of the better winning streaks they've had in recent memory. And, you know, frankly, they were a field goal away from beating Cincinnati in their conference championship game. Uh, and by the way, that was a, a you know, walk off game winning field goal in overtime. Um, you know, uh, Tulsa's got some championship pedigree and that they've played in big games before. Obviously they're, they're coming off of a, a game against Oklahoma state. So they're not, you know, it's not like they haven't played against really high quality opponents. I, I don't expect Tulsa to come in and, and not be prepared for this game, but Philip Montgomery's uh, tenure in, in Tulsa hasn't been terrific. I think he's 31 and 42 is his uh, coaching record there. Um, and he was a part of the coaching staff uh, when this Tulsa team came to uh, Columbus last time out back in 2016. I don't know how much stock you put into a game like that when measuring these two teams against each other. It was, I think there was an hour and nine minute rain delay at one point from a thunderstorm. 
You know, it was raining really hard in the second quarter, and the Buckeyes had back-to-back pick sixes. Do those happen if it's not in the rain? Kind of hard to know for sure. But, um, you know, the, the the gap between the two schools is certainly there, and I think Tulsa fans are kind of hoping that that it's a competitive game more than they're hoping that, hey, we got a chance to go win on the road in Columbus. Yeah, I think it's you're, you're hoping that you're competitive and you hope that you get out of there injury-free, right? Sure. Um, I think, like – in many ways, like injury free is probably like prerequisite number one uh, for the for that coaching staff. You know, the the AEC is, uh, I would say, like a very top heavy conference right now with you know UCF, Cincy, and then it's kind of everyone else a little bit. Um, you know, so I don't I, I don't think like you know, especially after losing the first two games of the year, like, you know, the idea of like, oh, we're going to compete for a conference championship. Obviously that's still on the table for this team, but um, you know, these, these mid mid major teams like conference championship in a lot of ways. And then like bowl game is pretty much like their, their best kind of thing that they can hope for. So I think uh, you know, it's an opportunity to kind of learn about your team. It's an opportunity to try and get some confidence and then, you know, you start your conference schedule and then you try and get those wins to get ball eligible. Buckeyes offensively uh, through the air, 389 yards per game. That is fourth best among Division One FBS teams. Uh, Western Kentucky has – the Hilltoppers are letting it fly through the air, 456 a game. Uh, Arkansas State and Marshall have uh, attacked their opponents through the air. But other than that, nobody else has been better – passing the football than uh, Ohio State. And and remarkably, the number five ranked passing offense in the country is Fresno State. So what's it say about Oregon that they have not, by any stretch of the imagination, been able to, to stop teams through the air so far this year? Uh, we'll keep our eye on that as as the season goes along and you know Oregon is trying to piece together a playoff bid. You inadvertently gave me an opportunity to talk about Conference USA football here for a minute, which I love that when you do. Uh, first of all, shout out to to, to Coach Huff and what Marshall and kind of a changing regime from Doc Holliday and his you know extended period of time in Huntington, uh, and then you know what kind of a the regime change there and how that's going to work. I think is going to be good things for for fans of the herd. But here's a here's a name to remember. As as kind of time goes on, and you mentioned it with uh, with Western Kentucky, so their offensive coordinator is this guy named Zach Kitley. Uh, it's K I T T L E Y, and uh, I hadn't really heard of him uh, until a handful of days ago, maybe four or five days ago, when Patrick Mahomes, of all people, kind of mentioned him, uh, talking about learning from him at Texas Tech. And now he has transitioned from kind of that like grad assistant kind of like, you know, working your way up, pay your dues kind of role into higher profile coaching jobs. Uh, went to Houston Baptist, of all people, and turned their quarterback into an All-American. Now at Western Kentucky and everything that they're doing there seems to be working pretty well. I think that's a guy that you're going to keep a keep an eye on because I think stock is rising as far as a passing game coordinator uh, is concerned for this guy, Zach Kitley. Keep that name in mind. All right. We'll tuck that away. You heard it here first. Um, kind of, uh, this is a now a Conference USA football podcast. Uh, that's right. Yeah, rebranding for sure. Um, I mentioned earlier the other uh, other uh, couple of categories that C.J. Stroud had established him uh, himself in, in single-game history at Ohio State. 
uh, 54 attempts and 35 completions, along with the 484 yards. Uh, all three of those were the second highest totals single game ever. So again, I think that really just goes to show that, uh, you know, Ryan Day uh, essentially abandoned the run. Um, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> 54 passing attempts against Oregon was more off was more than the number of plays the Buckeyes ran in general offensively against Minnesota when they only ran 48 plays the whole game. Um, you know, again, I, it, it's it's pretty obvious that Ryan Day likes what C.J. Stroud has to uh, has to bring and wants to get the ball to guys like Chris Olave and and uh, Garrett Wilson. And and by the way, how about some love for Jackson Smith and Jigba? This guy played a monster of a game on Saturday. Uh, the three of them, Wilson and Olave and Smith and Jigba, becoming the first Ohio State trio to have a 100-yard receiving game simultaneously. It's never happened before in one game in program history. And uh, the guy who isn't a front runner to be a, a first-round draft pick next year in the NFL uh, was perhaps the one that had the best game. Yeah, and I, I think, um, one, I think that that the, the, the you know, never seeing a three-person 100-yard receiving game in program history – is a great indication of how times are changing, you know, uh, across, you know, the landscape of college football and like how, what offenses look like and, and certainly what they've looked like traditionally at Ohio state. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's great. And I think it's huge, you know, it, um, you know, and another example of what Brian Hartline is building, um, and how in a lot of ways he kind of came out of nowhere, uh, in kind of the coaching circles um, to go from, you know, this guy that obviously had a fantastic college career and did really darn good in the NFL, you know, and came in and kind of looked, I think a lot of people kind of saw his hire as like borderline, like nepotism. And uh, he's went from that to well, he's like unquestionably like one of the best assistants in the entire country. Like it has to be like, if he's not a top 10 you know, a top 10 assistant football coach right now in college football, the list is wrong. Um, and then what he's been able to do recruiting on top of that is special. Um, uh, and, you know, and so fair play and full credit to him. I think also, you know, to talk, to kind of go back to CJ a little bit, if I, if you haven't done so, um, you know, already here on Buckeyes now, I encourage you, encourage you to go back and watch the film breakdown that we did with uh, with Pat Cavanaugh and and talking about uh, specifically some of the misses that CJ Stroud had in this Oregon game, but also some of the throws that he connected with and how um, if it, when you kind of peel back a layer or two, how uh, special some of those plays and throws were specifically in my mind, what jumps out right away is the touchdown to Garrett Wilson and how um I think it showcases pre-snap uh, what CJ can do and, and, and is a kind of a level of football that maybe we don't explain super well, uh, you know, kind of in the, in the realm of, of uh, college football media. Um, but definitely check that out because I think it does two things. One, I think it shows you what I just said, everything that CJ can do. And, and, uh, and the fact that, you know, if not only do the stats back up that I think this guy is pretty good, uh, but also, you know, uh, when, when it's good, it's really good. Uh, and then two, I think if you go back and you look at the throws that he misses, 
and he missed specifically in the Oregon game. Uh, they came in bigger moments, big downs, third down, fourth down, that kind of thing. And if we if those happen on first down, we probably don't talk about them in the same way. And so I think that's important context as well. It's it's interesting that Garrett Wilson touchdown pass is the one that comes to your mind because actually the two that come to my mind right away are the uh, touchdown to Jackson Smith and Jigba running up the right seam where he he really had to throw a you know a pretty good ball with some pace on it through a tight window, and it was as perfect as you could make that pass. Timing um, for sure. Yeah, really, really good. Um, and the other one was the you know the the fade route to Olave up the sideline in fantastic coverage. Give Olave some credit; he ran a great route and and showed his hands late. But I mean, dude, that throw is so so good. Um, and and those are the two that I think he made that really stand out to me throughout the course of the game there. Um, yeah, the Olave the Olave throw is that's an NFL caliber oh, throw yeah. for sure. It's a it's a it's a passing play in a lot of ways that you actually don't see in college very much because it's a you know it's it's a high it's certainly a high um, it's like a high caliber throw right and like you don't have to do that in college football you don't have to be that good that precise right because you could probably get someone in space and get a first down anyway, right? Like you're not asking, it's not the NFL, right? Uh, the windows aren't smaller. The timing is, you know, shorter, all of that. Um, but I think the thing about the Garrett Wilson touchdown, that's great, um, is the recognition between the two of them and the idea that like, this is technically the only second game that they played together. And yet pre-snap, they both kind of share a look and then the play essentially as called stops and then it said it's a hot route, if you will. I, that's not the term that they use at Ohio State, but it's a hot route, and it's a touchdown. And I think that showcases the development of what CJ, you know, CJ has done through two games, and how much Ryan Day trusts this guy. Interesting note here, and uh, I think this is a really good thing from Todd. I, I appreciate that you brought this up, Todd. Thanks for chiming in. Why is nobody questioning? Washington as an L Washington with how bad the linebackers are playing. It shouldn't all fall on Combs defensive coordinator, Kerry Combs. It's a really good point. Um, you know, I, uh, I think the Buckeyes felt last year, like the linebacking core was the slam dunk strength of that defense felt decent about the secondary and weren't sure what you were going to get out of the, out of the defensive line. And as the season played out, the front seven was great. Those linebackers did their job, and and it was the, the secondary that struggled. Uh, and because of that, and because of the success that Al Washington's group has had for you know a few years, he started to get you know some some serious consideration in the offseason for defensive coordinator jobs. The one that was most widely reported was uh, you know him potentially leaving the Buckeyes to go to Tennessee. Um, and this year, the linebacking core has struggled for sure. You know. I, I don't know if it's fair to objectively dissect what is Al Washington's fault, what's Larry Johnson's fault, what's Matt Barnes's fault, what's Kerry Combs's fault. I think perhaps to your point, Todd, you know, it's it's kind of the chair that you sit in. If you're the head coach, you got to own it when you lose, and and you got to share the credit when you win, because you're the face of the program. If you're a coordinator, you're kind of the face of that side of the ball. Right. And so to me, there's an element of, you know, this is Kerry Combs defense. 
there weren't, you know, he, he's working with the same coaches and a ton of the same players that he was working with a year ago. I think the criticism has gone toward Kerry Combs because he's been calling a defense and because he's the face of that side of the ball. But I agree, as Ryan Day said earlier this week, there's enough blame to go around here. This is not any one person's fault in particular. And just as it is not anybody's fault uh, individually, it sure feels like everybody collectively better figure this out to, to make this thing go back in a, in a more positive direction. Yeah, yeah, I think in general, I, I probably disagree a little bit with Todd in that, like, yeah, it kind of actually really all should fall on Combs because that's the job and that's that's the deal, uh, you know, when you're essentially the head of, you know, an entire side of the football. Um, I also don't know how much, and, and, and this is just kind of, you know, the, the nature of the beast in, in, you know, we know what we know, we don't know what we don't know. So I don't know how much Al Washington has uh, as far as input is concerned, uh, as, as input is concerned with X's and O's specific to defensive play calling. Um, you know, I, I, I don't even necessarily think the linebacking play has been that bad. Uh, it, you know, since this is, you know, we're talking numbers, my number, my best number uh, for the show was one, as in one sack from an Ohio State defensive lineman so far through two games. Uh, the tackles for loss are from from that front four are not good. It's really bad, uh, quite frankly. And so, um, and, it, and again, we're, we're plugging the the film study, the the breakdown that we did earlier. Uh, one thing that you re- saw repeatedly is the ball being snapped uh, from Oregon in zero Ohio State defensive linemen coming off the ball in a dynamic and aggressive way. It just didn't it, happen. Haskell Garrett did a decent bit, but the rest of the line for sure, all the way yeah. down. Definitely. And it's and it's so challenging and and for for backers especially to to be explosive, reactive in a good way when essentially there's no gap contained in front of you. And, and at times we saw that now, was there certainly a handful of more than a handful uh, of situations where with bad eyes and, uh, and certainly bad hips at times unquestionably, but I think that's a byproduct in large part to the fact that they're not getting, no one was getting slowed down by the time that they got to that second level. But to answer the question or to, to talk a little bit about the, the comment itself, uh, I think, um, you know, it's it's the sports world, right? Like it's there's no room for nuance here. You know what I'm saying? Um, so uh, I, I think in general, what the, the, the idea is, is totally right. Right. Like I think in the room specifically, you know, all of those defensive coaches are probably feeling the blame equally. And I think that's a good thing. Todd, uh, Todd rightfully chimes in about, you know, last year's linebackers were part of last year's team and they're gone. Um, I think that plays into the element of the inexperience. I asked Ryan Day today in his press conference about how you balance patience with expectations of performing at a high level because he's got a lot of guys on both sides of the ball, and the linebacker unit is absolutely one of the youngest units on this team, uh, or or maybe the better way to say it is inexperienced units, right? Because there are some right. units where guys have gotten some uh, gotten some playing time, but are are younger. Um, 
he basically said, it's a good question. Nobody cares how young we are. Nobody cares how, how little experience we are. You know, we, we, we don't have the ability uh, to afford ourselves time to be patient. We have to have a sense of urgency and figure it out now. And he has said several times, we're not allowed to lose around here. He's right. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad that he said it that way because I've never uh, sensed a lack of urgency, but it's, it's just nice to know that, you know, even he's not hiding from the fact that, yeah, so, you know, we had four senior linebackers last year and we don't have those guys this year that know exactly what to do and how to do it. Nobody cares, figure it out, go get it done. Right. And Taraja Mitchell's been okay. I think he's done a decent job. Cody Simon, when he's been on the field, I think has done a decent job. Um, the rest of the linebackers have had a, a few good moments here and there, but not good enough. I mean, it's just, it really hasn't been good enough from that whole unit. And um, is that in some regard, because you played against two huge offensive lines with two talented running backs for both, well, really three talented running backs between the two teams. Does that lean into it? Yeah, probably that that exacerbates the issue. But you know, this is a this is a linebacking core that's got to figure it out for sure. And I'm sure L. Washington feels that pressure. You know, to go back to Todd's original point, L. Washington realizes that you know this is a huge problem spot in the defense right now. These guys take a ton of pride in their job. They're not blind to it. It's not like they're not working hard to try to figure it out, but you know, results are what they are. And this is a results-based business. It's why we keep score. You win or you lose. You can win ugly, but you win. You can play a great game and lose, but you lose. And you got to find a way to, to be on the right side of the margin at the end of the day. So, yeah, I, I think there's plenty of blame right now in, in, uh, in the linebacking room. Yeah, and that's why Ryan Day is making changes already through through only eight quarters of evidence, right? Like the, the fact that they're essentially – restructuring how they make play calls uh, on the defensive side of things. Like that never really happens. Not very rarely happens in college football where you bail uh, that early. Um, but obviously, um, and, you know, I think this is a good example of like, we all have eyes, right? Like we, you know, regardless, I think of your football, um, you know, knowledge playing or watching or whatever. Um, like you, I think, I, I think, you know, it when it's, good and you know when it's maybe not great and i think right now i think it's unequivocally not great i i would just say um you know to to the changes comment uh ryan day made it very clear that quote unquote changes are going to be made um but he didn't really want to elaborate much on that and why would he right like, yeah he, i don't I blame him like it's not in his best interest you know no, don't air your dirty laundry you know you as the head coach you hire guys on your staff because you trust them to do their jobs and you think they are competent, intelligent, smart, good football coaches. So figure it out, right? And and you know everybody's seat should feel a little hot right now, not because you're you're on the verge of getting fired, but because you just lost a game, and that's not good enough. Um, you know, there's a, a question here from Kyle who, who chimes in and says, "Has anybody heard of any rumors on the next defensive coordinator?" Um, the the thing that I would say right now is. It ain't happening. Be really, really careful of what you read um, because the rumor mill has been running like crazy. I mean, I saw something about Will Muschamp and Mark D'Antonio, and, you know, uh, I even read something about Marcus Freeman leading Notre Dame. Like, that's – It ain't happening. It's not going to happen, right? Nobody's getting fired. 
No, not especially really? not right okay. now. They there is to me there is a there's a very real possibility that behind closed doors there's some restructuring about whose responsibilities are what, you know, who is up in the box versus who's on the sideline, how they go about the process of figuring out the right defenses to be in and relaying information from up top to down low to the field. Like that stuff can absolutely all change. But to me, there would be have to be something ridiculously catastrophic for Ryan Day midseason to fire a coordinator. I just don't see that. I mean, it, I guess it's possible. I really, really don't see that happening. Not to mention you have to know who the next guy coming through the door is. You and better know you, Jeff Halfley is busy, yeah. folks. All right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like he's not like the next guy isn't out there. The next guy already has a job, right? So like if you're like if if you're trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater here because you didn't like what you saw through the first two weeks, like I can understand the impulse, but that's and will be nice. That's a, a bit of an emotional reaction. Like it's just not happening. That's not how this works in in college football. Now maybe it should, but like it it's not. It's just not going to happen. I mean, look, Clay Helton just lost a job, right? And and he coached two games this year at, at USC. So, but you know who didn't get fired? The coordinator. <laughs> you know what I'm exactly. saying? Yeah. No, and, and uh, again, um, in-season college football coaching changes certainly happen, um, but at the coordinator level or at the position coach level, it once the season starts, it just doesn't happen very often. Um, and and I think the Buckeyes, you know, did what they could in the offseason to bring in analysts. Paul Rhodes and Todd Fitch are part of you know, part of the Ohio State staff as as analysts, they're not allowed to have, um, you know, they're not on the sidelines during game days. There, there's extremely limited interactions with what they can do with, you know, players and things like that. Um, they're they're basically there to be sounding boards for coaches and to figure out other ways to make things work. You know, and and um, hopefully those guys are adding great value. You know, that stuff's never it's never really going to become extremely public. Although actually I, I've asked a couple times, I asked um, both Kerry Combs and I asked Brian Hartline, you know, how um, uh, and, and Matt Barnes, how beneficial have these guys been to you behind the scenes? And they've all sung their praises, which is good. Um, but, you know, like that's the only, to me, that's the only potential thought process of, you know, if you're going to have somebody in house to take over a job like that, maybe I can see it. But you just you just don't see coaching changes like that midseason. It's way, way, way too difficult to have a guy come in and start and hit the ground running and and you know excel at a high level. That stuff's done during the off season. And and it's a, it's important to note in in this specific situation, we're talking about a guy who you know whether or not you like what he does with the X's and O's kind of standpoint, uh, the man can recruit and the man is currently recruiting. And it's important that we participle that verb recruiting as an in process, you bounce him, you 86 him out into the ether and you might set yourself back when it comes to that thing. And whether as ask anybody worth a, you know, worth a darn in this entire crazy thing that we do, Recruiting is the lifeblood. Recruiting makes it all work. It's the gas in the engine. And if you don't have dudes who can pump the gas, you got squat. Not, uh, not to mention, uh, and we can talk with uh, with 
our, our, our coach, Tommy Zagorski, who joins us a couple times a week. Um, we can ask him about this to elaborate on it more. He's been a college football coach for 13 years at several different levels, including the Power 5 level when he was on staff at, at Tennessee. It is so hard to be a good recruiter and be a coordinator. It th There's a reason why Ohio State's best recruiters for the last several years in a row have been position coaches. It it's a it's a time thing. You know, when when you're recruiting a kid and you want some kid who's a dude that you got to have on your team, when he calls or texts you as a recruiter, you answer mm -hmm. the phone. Period. You stop what you're doing, you leave dinner, you 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 walk away from your kids like whatever. You pick up the phone when that kid reaches out to you. When you're in a meeting, when you're game planning, whatever it is, it is so hard to do that at that high of a level that it that it takes to land kids that talented, the kind of kids that Ohio State has gotten left and right. It's really, really hard to do that and be a coordinator. Um, maybe that's one of the one of the things we're learning here from Kerry Combs' perspective, because by all accounts, the dude is a great, great recruiter, and he's a great guy, and he's he's likable. You know, everybody knows he, at this point, I hope you know, he's got a boatload of energy and enthusiasm. He is Ohio through and through. You know, he loves the school, loves the team, loves his job, and he is the face of what you want as a recruiter. And maybe he just, for whatever reason, maybe he's struggling to handle the coordinator part of this. Uh, yeah, I, I I couldn't have said it any better. Totally agree. Yeah, well said. Todd, appreciate the uh, appreciate the the thumbs yes. up there, and uh, thank you, Todd. Thanks very much. We uh, we appreciate anybody who wants to subscribe to the content. We do this every day. Uh, rotate through a lot of a lot of content on Buckeye Breakdown. RK jumps in. Uh, we've uh, we've heard from RK a couple of times. Thanks for joining in. Stop rotating the back seven. Pick the best and cut them loose. There is definitely a thought process that's been going through my mind uh, off air of like, okay, figure out who the guys are that you want to roll with and go, you know, it's great to have depth and feel like you're developing talent. And maybe this is just part of the growing pain of, you know, you didn't have, uh, non-conference games last year. You lost all of 2020 spring ball. You know, a lot of the guys that are being asked to play really meaningful, high moment, high leverage snaps now don't have a ton of game reps beyond this year because they weren't able to get in, in games last year. Mm. Um, and so maybe there's just this swallow hard, give it your best shot and see who can do what. Um, I'll tell you right now, as I've gone back and watched the game a couple times, the, the guy who has stood out to me most on the defensive line is JTT. He yeah. is flying around that defensive line. Um, I would be stunned if you don't see more and more of him as this season goes along as a true freshman. So, yeah, maybe maybe there is this element of the first couple games they were trying to figure out exactly what they had. You're sick of hitting your own guys or throwing against your own guys in, in camp and in practice. And unfortunately for the Buckeyes, you know, they, they feel a bit snake bitten and having lost an early game. But I, I would expect there's going to be a little bit less rotation moving forward. Yeah, I think um... – yeah, I, I think I, I agree in part. I also think this is modern college football, um, especially at the the level at which Ohio State is at, which is in, I think, that top tier um, in that you have to keep 
guys happy in in this in this realm of the transfer portal and and if you know if i don't like it i can go elsewhere and it's easy um because uh you know it is a bit of a feeding frenzy i think you kind of got to give everybody a little bit of a taste and i think the Back end kind of uh, benefits of that, in my mind, maybe outweigh the short term problems as long as you don't lose. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily say I think the rotations are uh, a big reason uh, for that loss to Oregon, but I think they might be a factor. Um, but I, I think I agree in part in that you you definitely have to have your core. Uh, and the guys that you count on in the big moments, right? If you're going to rotate, it's like it's like how, like the 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 running back situation, right? Like, you know, who gets series one, who gets series two? But like in the fourth quarter, when the games when you're trying to kill the game, like who's the dude going in? Like you probably know who that guy is, right? Um, you know, I think at times if you were to say like pick the four best defensive linemen late in the game or four best uh, defensive backs late in the game, you know, with the game on the line. And if you if you pulled all the Ohio State media, you'd probably get a ton of different answers. And I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. So I think you have to. Um, I think in large part, this is what the first part of the season is for. You try and figure out who you can count on and who maybe needs a little bit more time, and then you rearrange the depth chart from there. Uh, and I think as these games goes go along, you'll see that rotation get smaller and smaller and smaller. As uh, as um, uh, you know, as uh, I think you figure out, you know, essentially who you can count on and who can't. I am very open minded to um, different viewpoints and perspectives. I hope that has shined through enough uh, as we've done countless of these streams at this point. Um, I'm very open to hearing someone else's perspective and considering it. Um this is one that I just don't agree with. Lynn's Breezy OH chimes in and says, as silly as it sounds, I wonder if JTT regrets choosing Ohio State over Oregon. I I really wonder if that thought even crosses your mind if the Buckeyes beat Oregon. I, I just – it's so early in his Ohio State career, and he has played quite well. You know, he's spoken so highly of his um, of his time at Ohio State thus far. It's very clear that he likes the position group he's in. He likes the guys on that, you know, on that defensive line. He's got a great relationship with Larry Johnson. I I just can't for one millisecond entertain the idea that JTT is not happy in Columbus. Um, but I, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty for everybody. But this kid loves being a Buckeye. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's not happy that they, you know lost so quickly but i mean the homeboy's playing uh you know has been on campus for what like eight ten weeks and is playing uh so i mean in a lot of ways i think that's job number one uh and and maybe insofar as to say that's kind of like main the main goal for these kids is to play um and and sometimes the results uh you know all, all these guys are competitors um but the and, and to say the results would are secondary is entirely not true. Um, but uh, I don't necessarily think they they matter maybe as much as people might think. Um, and I think for him especially, he's one he's playing, 
And two, he's getting coached every day by the best dude in the biz. And, and that, as we've seen uh, with a handful of guys, including one dude who's playing right now behind me, um, uh, that pays off. Um, you know, ask Chase Young about his bank count and whether or not he, he didn't mind sitting behind a couple of Bosa's. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it matters, but I, I don't, I don't think he's, uh, all too upset, uh, in, on a broad spectrum, uh, right now with, with his decision. Yeah, no, I, I certainly get the impression. And, uh, Lindsay saw your second comment there. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad that JTT seems like, uh, Columbus is off to a really good start for him. Shout out to um, Thursday night football. Bro. Yeah. 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 The, uh, the back looks great, Joe. Keep up the good work, buddy. <laughs> um, Basically, just want to wrap up with with one more thought here, one more number, I guess, and and that is uh, uh, related to Tulsa's tackles for loss. And I don't want to tell you this incorrectly, but they are among the top tackles for loss teams in America right now. They've registered uh, 18 tackles for loss so far through their first two games. Uh, that is first in the American uh, American Athletic Conference and 13th in all of Division One FBS college football. 18 tackles for loss in two games. For comparison's sake, we were talking about earlier, the Buckeyes have five tackles for loss in two games. That's not getting Bad. it done. Um, are, are you concerned at all about Ohio State's ability to keep the Golden Hurricane out of the backfield? No, because when I hear that number, the first thing that pops into my head is first down screens. Uh, and, and something that Ryan Day has shown us already this year with big plays, uh, with sneaking and running back out of the backfield, uh, directly into an oncoming blitz. Uh, and you know, we saw what uh, Travion did on that play, uh, in the first game of the year. Um, I, I, I would guess that you know, it kind of goes in part a little bit to what we were talking about earlier with trying to be physical at the point of attack and trying to really put an emphasis and focus on the run game in this game. Uh, and trying to dominate that, right? And I think they're looking at it as kind of like a challenge, right? Like these are guys that are are capable of blowing up the play if you don't do your job and if you're not dynamic and physical. Uh, and, you know, there's the challenge, accept it and win it. And I think that's, uh, in a lot of ways, it's maybe a, a great thing for this Ohio State uh, offense at this point in time. So uh, just to kind of plug the schedule of, of our yeah. you know, routine content here, uh, Mondays are basically our upon further review day on Buckeye Breakdown. Um, it's a, a day to look at some film from the previous game. Some good, some bad, some ugly. We'll figure it all out. But uh, Monday is upon further review. Tuesday's podcast that post is uh, our Building the Buckeye series. Andrew Lind, who does a great job covering recruiting for us in Buckeyes now, uh, basically gives you a weekly update on on what the what the latest is in Ohio State's recruiting world. Uh, so those will drop every Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday's podcasts are uh, traditionally a, a, a visit with someone that, that covers the other team, a behind enemy lines segment. Uh, this week we talked with Brandon Hart, who's covered Tulsa for over a dozen years, and I thought gave some good insights on, on what Buckeye fans can expect uh, this coming weekend. Today, Thursday, is our Inside the Numbers, and we go over some of the key stats leading up to the game. And then uh, tomorrow, Friday, will be our, our preview and prediction um, you know, centered podcast, uh, a little bit more storyline focused and headlines going into the game. Uh, we'll have some an instant instant analysis after Saturday games, uh, whether that is early afternoon games uh, or late at night. We're definitely going to give you some uh, some reaction how we digested Ohio State's games that week, uh, and occasionally on Sundays we'll visit with some guys that cover uh, the NFL and 
you know, have a chance to maybe cover some some Buckeyes. Um, we've got quite a network of, of publishers uh, in our Fan Nation network and uh, some friends all around the country that cover NFL teams. And, you know, I, I realize Ohio State fans are pretty focused on, you know, who's who's here now. But uh, for as much as you want to know who's coming in, I think there's a lot of pride in the fact that there are, with the exception of one school in the country, there's more Buckeyes on NFL rosters than anybody else. And we're going to start now that the NFL season is here. We're going to start pumping out some of that content uh, to drop on Sunday. So we have a ton of content for you. We have a boatload of written content. Really uh, would encourage you to check out Buckeyes now, and, and hopefully you make that part of your uh, your regular viewing habits. Brett, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah, if you're in for a good laugh, please make sure you check out my weekly picks coming into the game, last uh, into the uh, upcoming weekend of college football. Last week I said I liked Clay Helton. Uh, and then I got him fired. Um, and I think the, the week before, uh, I made an absolutely outstanding judgment on Notre Dame, uh, and Florida state. Um, you know, so this week we're two for two, we're going for three for three. So look out James Franklin and, uh, be sure to check that out. It's good stuff. Uh, we're going to post all of our national game predictions tomorrow as well. So lots of, uh, lots of good stuff coming. For Brett, Hilbrand, uh, for Brett Hilbrand, I'm Brendan Gulick. If you were joining us live, uh, we certainly appreciate that. If you join us after the fact, thank you. But know that you can also join us live and participate in the conversation if that's something you'd like to do. We stream all of our podcasts live on our YouTube channel and on our social media platforms. See you real soon tomorrow. Coming up, the previews and predictions for this weekend's game. It's Ohio State and Tulsa. Get ready for week three.